podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another AI Writers podcast um, on another hot summer's day for us in England. I'm your co-host Leanne Prescott. Joining me as usual is Tom Holmes. Tom, how are you? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm good, Leanne. Uh, As you say, it's very, very hot. I work in an air-conditioned office, so my life is usually (laughs) good for eight hours of the day until I have to get in my pressure cooker of a car on the way home. Uh, joining us today is a regular on the show who's definitely in my good books after his latest piece on Oxlade Chamberlain. Uh, Hamza, how are you? Uh, very good, thank you. Uh, the World Cup and Wimbledon has been keeping me occupied. Unlike Tom, I don't have to work because I'm a student, uh, so I'm taking it nice and easy. It's uh, lovely to be on as always. <laughs> student life. Um, great to hear anyway. So uh, Liverpool have brought in two new names this summer with Tater and Fabinho, but AI have also been you know, hunting down new recruits for you listeners. Um, so today we've got Nick Summerfield for his debut on an Anfield Index podcast. Nick, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Leanne. A bit warm. Um, <laughs> I also work in an allegedly air-conditioned office, but it um, doesn't usually work out like that. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit too warm for uh, even for air-conditioned offices at the moment, to be honest. I'm not a, not a huge fan of the sun, um, being ginger. But anyway, um, right, let's kick off with Oxley chamberlain So as I mentioned before, Hamza's written a really good article just summarising Oxley chamberlain um, and, you know, his start at Liverpool, a bit sluggish maybe, starting on the wing, didn't have the best of times. A couple of people maybe were thinking why Liverpool spent this money, but he burst into life in midfield in that central area that he wanted um, to play in during his Arsenal days and never got the chance to. So, Hamza, why don't you introduce your article and just talk us through your opinion on Oxley chamberlain uh, Yes, yeah, so um, not long ago, I, I got injured. I injured myself. Uh, and I've had a cast on. I've been stuck at home and I've been thinking what to write on. And I realised Oxlade Chamberlain must also be in the same position. And it's not a very nice one to be in when you're... And I saw a clip on the Liverpool website where uh, Keita came in and came around, gave him a hug. Uh, but then on the training pitch, he wasn't there, obviously. He's, he's unable to play. And uh, what I thought is that for a player that played so, so well, it's a real shame that he's not getting the... The coverage that would probably be reflective of a player that ended the season in the way that he did here, as well as he did, excluding obviously the time that he was injured. Um, and so I thought it would be interesting just to revisit how he performed, expectations when he came, uh, how he met the expectations, well, the low expectations at first, how he exceeded those expectations, became a fan favourite, and now how he, he will require a lot more support from the fans and a lot more patience as he gets back to full fitness and how it's going to be a long, long, tough period. Uh, but how us as fans, we need to be there for him. And probably considering that he will come back around January time, which is usually when things really start to hot up with regards to the FA Cup, the League Cup semi-finals, Champions League. Uh, and obviously you're at the halfway point in the Premier League season. Uh, we probably want a player to come in and we probably want them to kick on as, as soon as possible. Imagine if we're in second or third position, we want us to kick on or if we're lagging a bit behind, we need, we need a few points or if we're at the top of the league, for example, uh, we want to make sure that we keep improving. And I think it would be a bit unfair to expect us 
I expect Oxlade-Chamberlain to return to Western and suddenly start firing as he did before. Uh, so I just thought we should draw some attention to him and how well he's played, but also cool any sort of uh, unrealistic expectations and trying to be as supportive as possible to a player that's played so well and surely will have will play very well in the future. But we've just got to be patient for that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a very good article that has a lot of points to it. We'll start off with Oxlade-Chamberlain's role in the side. So early days in his Liverpool career, as I said, he was pushed out on the wing and things. But when he when he came into the midfield, it was very much the Lalana role, which you've touched on in your article brilliantly. Um, Lalana was always someone who was key to the press, key to you know pushing high up the pitch, forcing defences into mistakes. And Oxlade-Chamberlain, as you say in your own words, he didn't just make it his own, he bettered it. Um, so, so talk us through that. How important is Oxlade-Chamberlain to this Liverpool side now, pre-injury? You know, the, the momentum he carried that drive in midfield, obviously scored some, some very, very good goals for Liverpool and important ones too, you know, against Man City, that brilliant goal. I think on previous podcasts, people have pointed to that as, as their moment of the season. So he really was right in the thick of it and, and doing very, very well for Liverpool, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, it, in, in a physical sense, he was very, very important. He's a player that we really needed uh, when Salah came up in the Champions League final. Someone who will carry the ball, who will be direct, who puts the onus back onto the opposition team. Uh, and he he's so instrumental, especially to the squad that we had last season. This season with Keita coming in, uh, we, we probably uh, don't need him to do that as much. But of course, a player like that is always welcome. But I think one of the other effects that we saw was uh, the psychological and the mental side. Uh, with regards to the morale in the in, in the dressing room, I think when um when he was injured, Klopp was very very downbeat, and we saw that the, the mental side of the game had also dropped off in the the loss against Roma in the the second leg of the semi-finals, and you could tell that the team lacked that sort of uh, that that bit of character, that bit of fight back that he provided. Uh, I noted in the article when uh, his reaction to conceding when we conceded Sane's offside goal. He slammed the floor in frustration. He looked absolutely distraught. The other players were a bit disappointed, but you could tell that that is what you really want. You want a leader uh, or someone that really, really takes uh, the game, the club, the fans as serious as possible. Someone that's really looking to push themselves. And I think you miss that in the dressing room. You you miss a jovial character such as him, but also that that mentality that he brings. There's a lot of things that the, the club... Uh, and the, the dressing room are missing out on that, and that's a real shame. But hopefully he'll be able to bring that back. Uh, that's the sort of thing that you really enjoy in training. When you've got players like that in training, that raises the level because they're competing at a high level. And in those moments where you aren't training, uh, where you're relaxing, it, it makes it far more enjoyable. And it's those little things there, the, the, the enjoyability of the game, uh, the, the level that you perform during training that really gives you that extra one, two percent that can make you just that bit better than your opponent. So I think having a player like that is really, really important. And I think it, he's a, a, a really key part of Liverpool as much as any other player. But, um, I think that the team is going to miss him for a while, but he should be able to help cover with that psychological side of the game as he comes back into the fold. You'll see him in training and so on. Yeah, I mean, um, Nick, coming to you now, what, what do you make of Oxford chamberlain particularly 
What, what do you think he was offering to this Liverpool team and, and maybe something that Liverpool are going to miss while he's out injured, which we'll come on to in a moment? Was Is it the pace? Is it the drive from midfield? Is it that strength and physicality? Or is it sort of the Lalana aspect of things where he was first to the press and therefore set the tempo to others around him? And again, in, in terms of attacking, I think, uh, I may be wrong in saying this, but I think it was one of his best seasons in terms of numbers. So goal contribution, um, assists as well. So, you know, in that sense, that's something Liverpool are also going to miss. So, yeah, what, what's your take on it in, in Oxford Chamberlain now being out for a sustained period of time as we go into the new season? Uh, I was gutted, to be honest with you, when um, he ended up getting injured because you just felt that he was becoming an integral part of the team. You know, Coutinho left in January and we were all disappointed and devastated about that. And he just seemed to step up. You know, he's, he's such an athlete. He carries the ball well. Um, I know arguably that's what Lalana used to do, but he just seemed to be a lot stronger, a lot more dynamic. Um, and again, I'm not going to compare him to Steven Gerrard because that would be stupid, but I know he was a fan of Steven Gerrard and he's tried to model his game a little bit on him. Uh, just in terms of that dynamism in midfield sometimes where he'll take the ball, he'll run with it. He'll try, try and take the game by the scruff of the neck. You know, and he'll try and make things happen. And he also seems to have this great personality, you know, where when he got injured, you looked at some of the, the Liverpool team and they were absolutely devastated for him. And the fact that when he was watching the Champions League final, I think he was watching it from his hospital bed, it just sums everything up about the lad. I, I think he's great. Right then, Tom, give us your thoughts. You're you're out of the out of the four of us, you're probably the one that's least Oxide Chamberlain. And that's not to say you're against him. You you think he's a bad player and didn't have an impact at all this season. But but your thoughts from a maybe a less rosy uh, perspective? Uh, I mean I thought I mean I thought Ox had a good season. I thought he had a very good season overall. Um, took him a while to get going, which makes a lot of sense. He's a new player to the squad. He didn't join in the preseason. Uh, if you look at his role in the side, as we talk about the Lallana role, that involves a lot of hard work. So it wouldn't be a surprise that it took him a little bit while, little bit of a while to get up to speed. Very, very similar to Andy Robertson in that respect. I wouldn't say Robertson didn't have a, didn't have a great season. It just took them both a little while to get going. Um, the net result of that is they didn't, didn't maybe didn't necessarily play as many minutes as we would have liked him to as early as we would have wanted him to. And it was a shame that you know he was getting into a really good group. He was becoming an integral part of that midfield. And this is a midfield that at times really did struggle over the course of the season. What I would say is that I'm not sure he was necessarily a game changer in the sense that I feel as though he had a, he had a vital role to play in the side, but I don't feel, I felt as though we were getting into a really good rhythm around sort of uh, February, March time, where we could basically rotate and play any of the three in midfield and the team was working pretty well. Uh, I w- would have said Ox is prob- was probably ended up being our most important midfielder by the time of his injury, but I would say saying he was our most important midfielder in the sense that I would have marginally preferred him to one of the, to Junior uh, Milner, who I think both, both had good seasons as well. So I feel as though he had a very strong season, but in terms of the context, it's not, he still had a long way to go in my opinion. In my opinion, I felt he was, he made clear evident, evidential strides across the season. I thought he was getting into a really good groove. I thought he was becoming a very important player, but it's frustrating that we never got to see Ox put in a sustained period of top-level form before we ended up being out again for another uh, well, six, nine, twelve months. You know, how long was a piece of string? We're not quite sure yet. Is the point? So yeah, in many respects, it was a really strong season for Ox, but in many, in many respects, 
a lot of the good work of the season has already been undone because of the injury, and that, that for me is part of the issue. Yeah, I think that's one of the main points here is that Ox was getting in the groove. He was showing, you know, that he could make a midfield position his own, and that's why he was making such a big deal out of being in that central area at Arsenal where he didn't get the chances to, to really showcase what he could do from that position. So he is obviously going to be a huge miss now. He's out of the, out of the lineup for a good, you know, four months yet, maybe more. As you said, Tom, we don't really know how long that's going to be. Um, Hamza, coming back to you, what sort of, in terms of, we've spoken about on the pitch things, but in terms of in the dressing room, how is this going to impact the players? Okay, Oxley Chamberlain hasn't necessarily been at the club that long, but he's a player who's sort of got this infectious energy about him on and off the pitch. We've seen some funny Instagram videos of him supporting England at the World Cup, um, you know, hobbling around his, um, his house singing, um, it's coming home, things like that. It, it's the passion, it's the humour, it's his, um, sort of infectious energy that that's something Liverpool are going to miss in the dressing room aren't they I think so but I think that the the majority of what what we have missed already has already gone so uh we would have missed that in the build-up to the Champions League final um we but the the anticipation of the final itself probably carried the players through they 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 must have missed him they must have been quite upset that he wasn't able to play uh, but that final probably pushed them through. The World Cup has taken their mind off it. And he's starting to become reintegrated into working with the team. He'll start seeing around the training ground. Uh, he isn't immobile anymore. So I don't think we will miss that as much. And his influence will start to grow as he gets, uh, as he returns to training and he's, uh, and he frequents Melwood more, uh, more often. Uh, so I think that side is lessened, but I would be concerned about uh, his, his own, uh, mental side of the game because, uh, it is very tough coming back from injuries after a long time out, let alone one such as an ACL. And, it, and many, many good players have had their careers ruined by, by ACL injuries. Uh, you take Kaka, for example, uh, Falcao, uh, Danny Ings. I don't know how he's still walking, having had two. Uh, but a lot of good players have struggled after having an injury as serious as this. And I think he'll find it quite frustrating when he realises that his body is not responding how he wanted it to uh, initially or how he wants it to. Uh, and how the, the recovery process, uh, how long it will take and how he's got to work even harder than before just to get to the level he was at. So it's very challenging for him. Uh, but that's why I stress the importance of support. And I think hopefully uh, the fans and Obviously, he's going to have world-class support at the club. Uh, they should help him get through that because it is quite a tough time um, when you can't do uh, simple things uh, like walk around, play football, kick the ball. Uh, very simple things like that become very frustrating. But with the right support, he should be able to get through it. And uh, this is a he, he's gone through the toughest period, so he should be OK. But uh, uh, we just have to be patient with him. Nick, do you think it's something, this isn't a dig at Oxley chamberlain obviously, he, he couldn't help being injured, um, but from the uh, 2012-13 season to the 17-18 uh, season, he's missed 96 games, I think I've calculated, um, for Arsenal and obviously uh, last season for Liverpool missing 14 games. So is, is he not used to this period on the sidelines? That's not to say he's not going to be frustrated, he's not going to feel that pain and, and that annoyance that he can't be out on that pitch. He can't be in pre-season feeling this excitement of new players and, and the arrival of, of new recruits and things. But 
is he almost used to that? He's therefore got the mindset and the strength to come back stronger. And that, in essence, is the whole point of, of Hamza's article, that he's going to be worth the wait. It's it's a curious one, to be honest with you, because I, I've always liked the player, but my only concern when we bought him was obviously his past injury record. And we seem to handle Oxlade-Chamberlain quite well in terms of, I know he was a slow starter, but he didn't break down. I had no worries about him as time went on. And then obviously he got this ACL injury. Um, and I don't know whether that's just a case of being bad luck or it just seemed at Arsenal sometimes, you know, maybe they'd rush him back too quickly or his body would break down on him. I didn't really get that feeling at Liverpool. Um, but he just seems to have the right mindset, to be honest, Leanne. And I think with the positivity, you know, the positive feeling around the club that Jurgen Klopp seems to engender, you know, I just, a bit like Hamza said, I, I'd hope and I think that he'd have the right mindset to come back, to know that he's got the support mechanism there. And I think that a lot of the fans have really taken to him. Um, half from Tom, like, obviously, but <laughs> um, just joking, Tom. <laughs> uh, but no, I think um, this was the strength of Hamza's article as well, to be honest with you. When I was reading it, it really came across about... Um, how an injury can have an effect on a player, not only physically, but also psychologically. And that sometimes as fans, you know, we're only really interested in players when they're fit and they're playing. And we really need to support them when they're coming back from injury. I think that's a really important point. You know, we can't rush him back. Tom, um, give us your thoughts on, on you know, uh, his injury, but also this idea of the, the dressing room and, and maybe what the players are going to miss in terms of that, that passion off the field and that class off the field. I know all of us will probably be in agreement when we say that he's actually he's a very, very good person off the field. We see what he does in terms of, um, you know, going out publicly and, and doing things like that, that footballers don't necessarily have to do. But he he shows that he's a good person. Um, and from a dressing room perspective, he's someone maybe that Liverpool are going to miss for the start of the season. Um, maybe I do. I do agree with Hamza in the sense that the kind of the initial blow of not having him. Not having him in the team is probably going, is probably already kind of been shaken off in many respects. I think one thing to bear in mind is that he'll have been a massive blow to the dressing room at the time, but he's going to, as an individual, I feel like, you know, he's still going to be in and around that dressing room because there's no chance that Klopp isn't going to want a big, strong personality like him in and around the team as much as possible. Ox is going to be there for his rehab. He's, I mean, obviously it'll be a bit of a blow for them not to be training with him. There will be sort of the everyday sort of impacts, but on game days, and, you know, in and around the big meetings, the squad, squad developments, meals, all that kind of stuff. Ox will be there. He'll be in and around the squad as much as he physically can be, because I think it'd be good for him as well to be around the squad as much as possible. Um, so I think from the personality side, maybe that's not quite so big as a blow as it could have been in many respects. And I certainly feel as though, like I'm set at the time, it was a bigger blow than it maybe will be going into the new season because people will have kind of, it won't, it won't be such an immediate shock negative anymore. It will be oxes around, you know, there'll be the positives of the little stages that he, you know, that he develops when he's off crutches, when he's uh, doing like training, all that kind of stuff. So there will be the kind of the boosts to the mentality. And as I say, I think he's a really big personality. I think he's a, a really classy individual, really funny guy. He's got real leadership skills. He, he is one of the people that I like the most in the dressing room as an individual, just because I think he's such a class act. And I feel as though, 
in many respects, it will be a blow not having him on the pitch for those qualities. But in terms of being in and around the dressing room, I feel as though he'll be around the dressing room enough that maybe it won't be as big an impact as it might have been, if that makes sense. Yeah, so just moving on to a, a different aspect of his injury then. Um, Hamza, coming back to you, what what sort of time frame, obviously, we, we can't predict when he's going to be back, but what sort of time frame when he does return from injury and, and start to come back to, to training? What how, how long do you reckon it's going to take for him to get back to anywhere near his best to show the kind of impact that we saw? Because as you as you said in the article, it took him several months to actually get in the groove in the first place and he wasn't injured at that time. So it's going to take a, a good while and maybe, you know, the whole of, of this season or next season, however you want to, to call what, what campaign we're about to get into. Um, but yeah, how, how do you think that's going to affect maybe his performances, but also how, how much we see of him? Because I think the Echo had mentioned maybe November's of him coming back. Some people are saying that's quite optimistic and it could be a lot later. But if it is um, November, what sort of time are we looking at to, to see Oxley chain back on the pitch and, and really making the impact that he was? I think um, six to nine months is usually the the recovery time that's um, generally accepted for ACLs. I think if you want a more specific idea, you'd probably be best at asking uh, Simon Brundish. But that, that's that's usually what's um, expected for most people uh, and most footballers. Um and given his previous injury history, uh, I would expect that it'd be a bit longer than, than November because I really wouldn't want to, to rush him back. The thing is with, with injuries like, uh, the ACL injury or general knee or ankle injuries is that they can impinge on other parts of the, the leg. So if you have a knee injury, sometimes it can affect your ankle. If you have an ankle injury, that can impinge on a previous knee injury. The, uh, and these are the sort of things that you definitely do, do not want to happen because then you're perpetually injured. Daniel Sturridge has this problem. He has a, uh, a leg that doesn't really function properly. And once you've got the hip that's gone as well, it, it, it's really, really hard to, to stay fit for a long period of time. Um, but with regards to his uh, professional rehabilitation, with regards to, to match fitness, I, I would imagine February time is probably a safe bet we will probably see him before that. We'll probably see him as those, uh, League Cup, FA Cup, um, the busy period around Christmas, uh, as that kicks in, we'll probably see him. But I hoped that if we do see him, uh, we're not using him too much. Uh, he's reintegrated slowly because that's the best thing for the player to make sure that they get their fitness. And, and then you've got to consider about working them their way back into the team because obviously now we have Keita, we have Fabinho, and uh, I I know the Fakir deal uh, isn't on at the moment, but we're still it, it seems obvious that we're still looking for another player that can fit in in those either the forward wide areas or that that third uh, centre mid position. Plus we'll have Lalana back. Plus you've got Milner, uh, Wijnaldum who can both play in that role. Henderson might be playing in that role as well. Uh, so it, it will be tough for him to take a claim, but his versatility means that he can also play out wide as well. Uh, so I think we'll, we will start to see him around December time, but with regards to sort of full 90 minutes, probably late January, February, I think is probably safe to say. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, a really good point there, actually, which leads us into to the next question really for you, Nick. Um, 
I think it came out today that Liverpool's main priority and Klopp's main priority is this attacking midfield position to try and get someone to fill that creative void uh, left by Coutinho. So let's say whether that is Fakir, whether that's someone else, that person does come in. Where does that leave Oxlade-Chamberlain in terms of when he does return, what's his role going to be? Is he going to be more of a bit part player or has he actually shown enough during the games before he did get injured? Um, that he is a key part of Klopp's system and therefore when he returns, when he gets back to his best, which, OK, we're saying is going to be a while off yet. But when he reaches that level, is he still going to be a player that Klopp is looking to, to try and force into his starting eleven? I just think um, he's he's very versatile player, Oxlade-Chamberlain. And when he was playing at Arsenal as well for a while, he was playing as um, one of the deepest central midfield players. Now, he showed a lot of promise last season, and as Tom's quite rightly said, a lot of it is just promise that needs to be um, delivered on. But, I mean, obviously it depends on who we actually buy. We are crying out for a quality attacking midfield player. But all things being well next season, we're going to be in the Champions League, we've got league games, we're going to be playing twice a week. Now, for me, with that scenario and with the domestic cups, there's definitely an opportunity for, for Oxlade-Chamberlain to be um, a regular regular starter for Liverpool or at least coming off the bench um, most games, to be honest with you. I think he's got that ability. But the main thing for me is that we have enough midfield cover. Uh, um, Lallana can flatter to deceive. Is he reliable enough to hold down you know, um, a starting place? Uh, my worry is that we have enough midfield cover, to be honest with you. I don't want Oxlade Chamberlain being rushed back, um, because we all remember what happened with Joe Gomez last season. Um, he played when he shouldn't have really played, and it meant that he exacerbated an injury, and it meant that we lost him for the rest of the season. So that that's a worry I have, to be honest with you. I think there are a couple of things to sort of assess when you're looking at how and when Oxlade Chamberlain reintegrates himself and his role in the squad when he does. The first thing to note is that we you know, we don't know what the squad is going to look like this time next summer. Um, and in many respects, we won't be able to see what Ox's role is going to be in the squad until the end of the end of this season, start of next season anyway. Given that, as you know, as Hunter says, we won't see him playing regularly until February anyway, and it takes players a while to sort of reintegrate into this Klopp system because of the physical demands of the Klopp system. So it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't see Oxo Chamberlain hit his best form until the end of ne- the very end of next season anyway. So realistically, it's going to be impossible to see what the squad is going to look like. Uh, this time next year anyway, Klopp might want to bolster the midfield more. We might lose one or two key individuals. We don't know how the injury situation is going to work out. This transfer window hasn't even finished yet. So as you say, we, we're hoping we'll bring in someone of, of um, Fakir's ilk, but we don't know that we will uh, just yet. Um, and the other thing is we don't know how the players are going to play. Um, we're all kind of assuming that we'll have um, Fabinho and Keita, uh, you know, hit the ground running and look really, really good. And in many respects, that might be not maybe not a bad thing for Ox, but Oxo Chamberlain could easily find himself where we're running into the back end of the season, and there is no place for him in the side simply because the lads who are currently starting are that good, and he's going to have to try and fight his way back into that team with bit part appearances, which may be very difficult because Klopp is a is a sort of man who likes to keep teams in there in the squad on merit. Alternatively, it could go the other way. It could be the case that Ox walks into a team and Kate is injured or Cater's struggled to find form, or for whatever reason, there is a spot in that midfield open when Ox returns, in which case he might be able to walk straight into the side and hit the ground running again and demonstrate that he's an invaluable member of this team. So in many respects, 
we can't get a clear picture of what Ox's long-term role is going to be in this Liverpool team and what his long-term scope for progression is going to be in this team because we can't see all the variables at play until probably this time next year. We can sort of assume that when he comes into the team, assuming Fabinho and Keita are, are going to play somewhere near their best, they'll both be in the team ahead of him, in which case there may be a midfield spot open depending on who we sign into an attacking sense. It may be that Ox is a rotation player because as, as Nick says, there's going to be lots of opportunities in that squad. You know, fingers crossed we'll still be in the Champions League and maybe one of the domestic cups as the season, you know, rolls into the back half of the season, plus all the league stuff we've got going on. And we would have needed a player like Oxlade Chamberlain in the back end of this season, even in, even when he was in the squad. Um, especially and then, you, you know, when he wasn't in the squad, you know, there was games against Stoke, there was games against Everton, where we would have really appreciated having him about a bit more. So I, I just certainly feel as though there's scope for him to make a recovery, but we don't know exactly what that scope's going to look like whilst we don't know what the squad is going to look like and we don't know what the form of the individual players is going to look like in, you know, nine months. I agree w- with everything you've said there. I think it's it's hard to really know where the squad and where Oxford-Chamberlain are going to stand. Um, Hamza, I'll give you the last word on this as it's your article. Just, again, a, a summary of where you think Oxford-Chamberlain can be looking in terms of his role. Um, as Thomas said there, it's hard to predict. But what do you see in terms of where his future lies? Because he has impressed. There's no denying that. The injury has obviously come at a bad time for the player. He missed out on the Champions League final, missed out on the World Cup. And now he's got this period of recovery in a time where Liverpool will be bringing in more players for for competition. And he won't really be able to do anything about that for, for a while until he gets back to his best. But when he does get there, what can he you know expect? What can he look to to try and make his target in this team? I think it, it's pretty clear Klopp's, Klopp wanted him. He paid £40 million for a player that was going to be out of contract come the end of the year, uh, come the end of that, that season, sorry. So I'm pretty sure Klopp wanted him and he made sure, uh, well, Oxley Chamberlain communicated that he wanted to play uh, in midfield. And I think that's where Klopp is going to play him as well. Uh, I know he started out wide, but Klopp's in an interview, uh, when you want to play a position such as midfield, uh, you, you've got to learn it first. You have to train first. You have to understand what a mid- midfielder has to do, but also the roles of a midfielder and specifically that most advanced midfielder within the, the Liverpool system. And I think Klopp would not have put all that effort into buying him, uh, singling him out as, as one of the players that he really likes, uh, giving him as much praise as he has. Uh, playing him in that position and then seeing him, uh, excel in very, very big games. Uh, the two against City are the stand, the, probably the two standout games at the time. Uh, each one individually was the biggest game of the season, uh, at that time for Liverpool. And he stood up, uh, as not many other players have done so in, in recent years and, uh, really showed character and, and Klopp really I really likes that the the players that have those aspects about them. And I think when he does come back, when he's fit, when he's playing to a good level, uh, not not necessarily his best level, he will be back in the team and he will be back in that midfield role uh, because that's that's where he is best. We've seen him play out wide and he's good. We've seen him playing a wing back for Arsenal and he's, he he does didn't all right job there. But with his attributes, with his qualities, he's best in that midfield role and he really does do a great job for us. We've seen Lallana play there 
and he does a, a decent job. We've seen Van Alden play there, decent job. We've seen Milner play there, decent job. Oxley Chamberlain raised the level of that position, raised our expectations of what we want from that third central midfielder. Uh, and I'm pretty sure because of that, he'll be back in the team. He'll be playing very well. And uh, it, he will be an important part uh, of the late stages of our season. And uh, that, there's not, not very much negative you can say about that. That's, that's a pretty fantastic thing to be able to, to call upon uh, when you're trying to chase titles, trying to chase uh, cup competitions, trophies and so on. Uh, so we just got to be patient with him. And uh, we should see uh, the positives of, of him shining through later on in the season. OK, um, so we'll move on now to Nick's article, um, which looks at how Liverpool can get back to where they belong and how it's time that we make this step up to really challenge the titles again. Um, so, Nick, do you want to introduce your article, talk us through your, your point of view and, and the arguments that you make within your piece? Uh, yeah, um, it was quite an optimistic article, to be honest with you, um, given how we performed last season. And I just felt there was a real feeling of togetherness, you know, surrounding the club and how close we actually came, you know, to winning the Champions League final, uh, only to fall at the final hurdle. And I was trying to be a bit philosophical, to be honest with you, because you can't always win. You have to sometimes be a gracious loser, even though it hurt so badly. I was so upset in, in the final. Um, and then I tried to take a step back and just look at, you know, the club as a whole, you know, and um, how far we'd really came, you know, looking at the structure, had things improved, you know, from previous seasons, what effect that the manager had. And... I just had a real feel good feeling about the club, you know. Um, I just thought that, you know, things were moving in the right direction. And then, obviously, it, it's an end of season piece, the start of a new season. And I just wrote down some ideas of what I thought we needed to do to take the next step because FSG um, seemed to be running things um, like a football club, you know, a lot more professionally. And um, they seemed to be putting them the hand in the pocket, you know, given the manager and the Michael Edwards some money to actually support the team and to actually buy the players that are needed. You know, so it was very much an optimistic article, to be honest, Leanne. Yeah, so it's a very good piece. And it's weird because you touched on the, the Champions League final in the introduction to your piece and you were basically saying that, of course, the final hurt, but there was this this idea of togetherness and optimism of, what's going to happen, what this team could achieve. And I think that was the overriding message from the final. Of course, everyone wanted us to, to lift the trophy. It was it was hard to see Real Madrid do that, and especially with Mohamed Salah going off injured. But there is this idea that Liverpool, this Liverpool, are capable of, of so much. Um, so we'll start off with, with Jurgen Klopp and his role. You speak about togetherness, which I think is a really key theme within this piece. How how important has Klopp been in that unification? Because he's got this infectious attitude as well. He's obviously a very lively manager on the touchline. Some people don't like that. Some people think it's over the top and, and kind of unnecessary. But for fans, that adds to this infectious feeling that we're there with him. He's a manager that wears his heart on his sleeves and he feels every moment like we feel it. There's clips of him celebrating tackles as if they're goals. And, and that, that feeling, that emotion is what has maybe brought this club together. Would you agree with that? 100%. I mean, 
I want a Jurgen Klopp hug. I'm, I'm unashamedly saying it now. I, I love the man. I'd, I'd, I'd love to play for him, and I'm sure that I'm not the only person to feel like that. Uh, a lot of players, you know, or pundits in the media will come out and say, oh, I'd love to play for that guy. And what he does seem to do is to, to back his players. Some, some might argue too much, you know, with how much faith, uh, he'll put in players, you know, that can be a bit divisive, whether it be Dejan Lovren, Simon Mignolet, uh, Karius, uh, Jordan Henderson. But the players know that he will back them, you know, and that's got to be a great feeling as a player to have Jurgen Klopp as your manager and, as I say, his enthusiasm just seems to be really infectious and it's kind of like, you know, when when you watch Liverpool play, it's kind of like watching Jurgen Klopp on the field. That enthusiasm, that infectious energy, it just seems to um, sum up the whole team. Yeah, a key part of that, as you mentioned there, is is this idea that players actively want to play for Jurgen Klopp and, and maybe that hasn't been something in the past that we've, we've necessarily benefited, uh, benefited from. Um, you know, this, this idea that Klopp is building a project, a project that is now coming to fruition. Maybe it's, it's in its element and he's really building it. He's bringing in the players he wants. And whenever people join, obviously they're not going to say, you know, don't care who the manager is, but there is this feeling that Klopp is at the heart of everything. P- players all over the world want to play in his system. They want to, you know, deal with this infectious attitude. And he's brought out the best in Mohamed Salah. He's brought out the best in players like Adam Lallana, Dejan Lovren. Okay, divisive, but he's he's made them step up their game uh, to some extent, at least. So, Hamza, what do you make of Jurgen Klopp in terms of this idea of of the club moving somewhere, and how important is he, you know, to to keep him around? There was talk of him maybe this being his last job in football. So hopefully it pans out for him, but also for the club, because I think. Personally, I believe that he is key to this idea of, of Liverpool chasing titles and chasing that Premier League title. Uh, definitely so in the short term. But what I feel that he's brought um, is a sort of culture uh, and he, he's tried to revamp the club. Uh, but it, in a way that it should last beyond his tenure. Uh, the, the way that we're structured now, we, we see a balance between the transfer committee, which, which obviously was, had a lot of trouble working alongside Brendan Rodgers before. Uh, the, the ownership now have a bit more experience in how to, where they're comfortable investing, who they're comfortable giving the money to. And I, th- I think he, he's smoothed out the process so that when another manager will come in, uh, a lot of the setup should remain the same. There will be no need to change it, providing things don't go badly wrong, of course. Uh, but that, I don't feel that he, he is completely integral to us in the long term because of what he's doing right now. He, he is ensuring, uh, a good long term future. Uh, they're working with the academy. There's going to be a new training ground, which incorporates the academy, of course. Uh, these sort of projects, uh, in the long term will bring greater rewards obviously with respect to the short term of course he's super important there, there there doesn't seem to be a better fit for the club right now in world football uh he suits the club to the t he gets the fans uh he seems very comfortable with the ownership uh he seems very comfortable with the team the team very much seems to buy into what he's offering uh players want to stay players want to join the club that's something we haven't heard uh, for a long, long time. 
Uh, we're signing top level players now. We've got Fabinho, we've got Keita. We were looking at Fakir. Uh, we've got, we've seen the transfer success in recent seasons has been phenomenal. We've had, uh, Firmino, Mane, Salah. Uh, and if I asked you maybe three years ago to name, uh, what would be the top scoring trio in Champions League history, uh, in a, in a given season, uh, I doubt anyone would have picked each, each of those players, let alone the three of them. And that's testament to what he brings, how he can get the very best out of players. And for right now, he, he's absolutely the most important player, uh, person at the club. Uh, it's essential that he, he stays and can keep instilling his philosophy, his ideas to ensure that in that long term, as much of it stays, because this is very much what we wanted for a long time. We want someone that brings us the ethos to the club, this vision. Uh, and yes, he, he's uh, essential to the club right now. Uh, and the way that he works is that one day we will be able to function without him because of how he's left us, uh, at, at how he, how he intends to leave us, sorry. Yeah, I think that, that, um, uh, word culture is, is so key because Klopp is building something, not just for the here and now, he's building something for the future, whether that's with him, whether it's not, he's gonna leave some form of legacy behind in terms of changing the club for the better and for the long term. Um, Tom, your thoughts before we go on to talk about FSG and, and their improvements? Yeah, I think FSG have improved a lot. But if you're going to talk about FSG's improvement, you've got to start with Klopp. Because in many respects, Klopp was the sort of the key integrator in FSG's improvement. I mean, yes to it. I mean, it's a tough one because if you look at someone like Brendan Rodgers, who I have a lot of time for personally, I know a lot of Liverpool fans don't. Um He's the sort of manager who did not connect with FSG. He didn't click with the likes of Edwards. He didn't click with the transfer committee, which makes it hard because if you've got a transfer committee and a manager who aren't on the same, aren't on the same level, who aren't communicating well, who aren't united, it makes it very, very difficult for the club to function properly. Whereas if you've got a manager who is very harmonious to that, and Klopp is clearly a manager who is harmonious to FSG because he's been able to influence FSG a lot, but equally FSG themselves have kind of responded to what the fans want in many respects through Klopp. So how much of Liverpool's integration, how much of FSG's improvement is down to Klopp is an interesting question, but I certainly don't think it's a coincidence that FSG have come on leaps and bounds and the club has come on leaps and bounds under Klopp's tenure. And that, for me, is more than just what he does on the pitch. Yeah, so um, as I said, going into FSG's uh, improvements, which, Tom, you've just touched on there, um, Nick, we we spoke about this on previous podcasts, me and Tom, and there was this overriding feeling of of the fact that Klopp, Edwards, FSG had all learnt uh, something about the transfer window, and and Liverpool were therefore spending more intelligently, really looking at players before they just threw their money at them. Fakir is one, obviously, we wanted a move to come off. There seems to have been a medical taking place and, and possibly an interview as well. But with this talk of of um, a knee injury that hasn't really recuperated. Is that not an indication in itself that Liverpool are maybe a bit more cautious? They're looking really, really uh, cleverly now at where to put the money. They've got a lot of places they want to improve and they're prioritising. They're not just going to buy 13, 14 new faces and, and smushing them all in together and, and seeing what happens. They're actually thinking about what they're doing and doing it far more methodically now. I think there's a couple of points there, Leanne. Um, the first is that we have a lot of players at the moment who 
have um, reputations of having bad injury records or are unable to actually sometimes complete full seasons for the club. And I think that's something that um, Michael Edwards, Jurgen Klopp are, are bearing in mind. I'm actually in the process of doing another article on um, the effect injuries are having on the club. Um, but I think the other thing is as well is to play the Jurgen Klopp way, there's only a small um, number of players who could actually do that effectively. We need to make sure that um, whoever comes into the club, that they will fit into the club. And it's it's always interesting to hear um, Jurgen Klopp speak about new signings, and he he seems very keen to emphasise, you know, whether they'll their personality will fit in will fit into the dressing room, and also what they'll bring to the team, you know. And I I just think that. As you say, there seems to be a lot more of an analytical approach now um, in terms of making sure that we get the right players. Uh, and I know in, in Rafa's time, sometimes he'd have to just um, make do with his fifth or sixth choice. But Jurgen Klopp um, seems to be prepared to wait um, for his number one choice, ideally, or sometimes um, he will accept the number two choice. I mean, depending on what you believe, I mean, Sadio Mane may have been a number two choice rather than number one choice. The same with Mohamed Salah, you know, because I think we, we connected with um, Mario Goethe, weren't we? And then we ended up getting um, Sadio Mane in that summer. And supposedly last summer, our number one choice was Julian Brandt, and we ended up with Mo Salah. So sometimes the second choices can be uh, can be okay, can't they? Well, we might yet end up with, a, with, with Julian Brandt this summer, to be fair. He's been one of those names that's been, been bandied about. Um, no, I completely agree with you on the analytics point, and I think Michael Edwards has been so important to that. I think if you if you watch Edwards' career, it took him a while to sort of rise through the ranks of FSG, but you can see the like the longer Edwards' career goes well at Liverpool, the more things start to change. I mean, it, a lot of people will say you know Klopp is the sort of key integrator, but probably the most important, a lot of people argue the most important player in this Liverpool side is Bobby Firmino, and it was Edwards who. Who did the, you know, who secured the Firmino transfer, who scouted him in many respects. So Edwards is the sort of man who already behind the scenes was maybe not preparing for Klopp's arrival, but picking out players, which the club could see having a long term future here and sort of integrating into that system. So it's quite clear to me that even if Edwards doesn't necessarily understand the minutiae of the tactics, he understands what it is Klopp's looking for. And he's very, very important to that as a result because he can, find the analytic he can find the players whose who's underlying numbers whose analytics match up to the specifications that the club require at the time yeah i think uh, another aspect of things is actually looking at the deadwood within the squad as well that's that's really come down in in terms of previous seasons bogdan and markovic are the two standouts bogdan um has gone out on loan now and markovic hopefully is set for a summer move to someone like locomotive um, minulay as well another one you could possibly put in that bracket he's set to leave this summer as well um, but compared to previous seasons we've had a long list of players you're thinking you're never going to make the grade at Liverpool why are they still here why are they sitting on these salaries and Klopp has really rooted that down and, and again that shows how, how good he is and how strong he is in terms of putting Liverpool in a position not just for the here and now but for the long run shaping a squad and putting us in a good position uh, for the future um, now it's about adding that additional quality adding that extra spark this summer just to propel us forward to try and get that Premier League title, to try and get his first trophy as Liverpool manager. Um, and Edwards has been 
been key to that as well, hasn't he, Hamza? He's he's come in and he's really showed his his mark um, on the club. Yeah, uh, Edwards has been uh, a really really uh, important influential figure, and the great thing is we, we we've seen people like this at other clubs before. Uh, that have been involved in transfers and you usually don't see them, you don't hear them, you just know that they are working quietly, efficiently and doing, uh, and doing what's best for the club. Uh, I think David Gill was the guy that used to do it for Manchester United. Uh, Borussia Dortmund had, uh, Sven Mislintat, who's now moved to Arsenal and now we have, uh, a person who, who actually looks like, um, a world leader in, in analytics and scouting and finding the right player for the right system. And uh, as just mentioned, finding a player for our system is very hard. The demands of our system are very, very different to a team. If you take, uh, if you take a, a standard centre back in the Premier League, if you take Harry Maguire, for example, playing really, really well, uh, for Leicester, uh, playing really, really well for England. Uh, but if you try to take a player with, uh, amazing physical attributes, uh, as he has in terms of aerial dominance, heading, and then put him in Liverpool's defensive uh, side. Uh, I think he would struggle because he doesn't have the 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 uh, the, the, the pace uh, in in terms of covering a large amount of, uh, of ground. Uh, he's not as quick as someone as uh, as Van Dijk. He's not as wear or as quick on his feet uh, in terms of passing as well. Uh, and so then you have a, a player that would probably fit into most Premier League teams, Harry Maguire not being suitable for Liverpool. And then when you think about that in every single position, it now means a pool of players that you're looking at is far, far smaller and uh, far harder to get, especially with re- respect to prices as well. Now, if you want, uh, exactly, if, if you take Van Dijk, for example, that was £75 million. Pounds. Uh, but the point is that we are now scouting the right players that fit our system really, really well. Uh, Keita played very nicely. We've seen him over the past season, two seasons at uh, Leipzig. He seems like a player that will really suit us. Oxo Chamberlain, a player that we as fans probably thought was going to fit in, works very, very well. Salah, Mane, Firmino, these players, you see them, you think, oh, how are they going to work out? And it's people like Edwards working with Klopp, uh, suggesting players and sometimes if need be pushing that player, even if the manager is a bit less willing to spend the money, that makes a difference. And I think uh, in the example of Van Dyke, when Klopp wasn't really sure about spending 75 million, which is obviously is fair enough, uh, he really made his case and pushed for this. And in the end, it very much appears like it was the right choice. Nick, your thoughts on that and, and Michael Edwards as a whole? Uh, I think we, we've got reasons to be optimistic, but I think if you look at the Fakir, um, deal recently, um, when we, when we bought, uh, Naby Keita in and then Fabinho, Fabinho, and the Fabinho deal especially came out the blue. Everyone was lauding Michael Edwards as being like the second coming. And then when the Fakir deal uh, seemingly fell through, everyone's jumping on Michael Edwards back. And I think that we need to be reasonable here. He's, he's doing a very good job, but we need to um, not overpraise because if we overpraise and put people on pedestals, then we are going to be disappointed because not every single deal is going to work out. And we, we don't know the reasons why uh, Fakir hasn't yet signed for Liverpool. Uh, but I think in general, you know, we should be optimistic about, you know, the current setup. And the one, one of the problems with um, Brendan Rodgers um, was that he didn't seem to be willing to work with the transfer committee or whatever we, we'd like to call them. And he very much wanted to be the man in charge even though he had no 
real experience at a big club. And I, I just think the the mixture of having Michael Edwards, who uh, is looking at the analytics, is looking at the stats, uh, it very much seems like a, a team, you know, rather than one person making the decisions. You've got Jurgen Klopp, who is a massive draw for players, who will speak to the players, who will convince them to come. And as, as you say, uh, Hamza, Michael Edwards quite often will recommend a player. Um, and sometimes Jurgen Klopp might have doubts because he's he came out and said over Mohamed Salah, you know, he had to be convinced to buy Mohamed Salah. And you, you look at the season the lads had last season now, and that sounds extraordinary. But that was very generous of Jurgen Klopp to say as well. He could have took credit saying, oh, yeah, Salah, I insisted the club buy him. But instead, he's actually given some credit to the club scouts to Michael Edwards. And he's, it, it just comes across as very much like him. It's a team. It's a team who's buying these players rather than just like one person. And there doesn't really seem to be much ego between Jurgen Klopp and Michael Edwards. You know, they seem to be very much working in harmony. I guess the, I guess the remaining question then is how close are Liverpool to that Premier League title? How much growth do you think needs to be done? There's obviously a lot of work that has been done both on the pitch and behind the scenes in terms of what Jurgen Klopp has done, Michael Edwards, FSG, as we've pointed out so far. But how much further do Liverpool have to go until they can really challenge for the Premier League title? I'll, I'll leave that as an open question to all of all three of you. Um, I think at the moment what we're looking at is a team that is almost there in terms of starting eleven. We have a midfield that is almost complete, but whether we need Fakir or a player like that to come in uh, doesn't seem completely necessary right now. Uh, with regards to that third midfield spot, obviously we still need depth, but with respect to the starting eleven, it looks pretty solid. If we can get a new keeper in, that's an improvement. Of course we go for that, but left-backs, right-backs, centre-backs uh, look good. Uh, Fabinho or Henderson at six looks good. Milner or Keita, uh as a second midfielder looks great. Uh, Oxo Chamberlain when he's back, um, or Wijnaldum, or Lalana uh, in that third midfield role, fantastic. Uh, the front three, as we know, brilliant. If storage is fit, even better. But we just need that that bit of depth at the moment, and that will ha- help us push on for the for the uh, the squad that we need for the title. Because if we take Man City's squad, for example, they have around. Uh, seven offensive players that you would think have to start every game and obviously they can only afford to play around five uh, so they've got two top top quality players that usually on the bench someone like Bernardo Silva for example occasionally it was David Silva last season even Sergio Aguero found himself on the bench too uh, so we still need some of that depth and also uh, when we usually look at teams at the start of the season we think ah, uh, who's going to be favourites here and there's a lot of stuff that we've got to remember is out of our hands. Uh, it, key injuries, uh, we can't legislate for, but we can prepare in terms of the squad. And that's where obviously depth comes in. Uh, but also little bits of luck, uh, that, that, that go a long way and also performances of other teams. If Manchester City play as they did last season, most teams, no matter how good they are, are going to struggle to win the league. If they don't, which is probably likely, it's, it's quite hard to match 100 points. Uh, we're in for a shout, but then again, you see how Lukaku's playing for Belgium, and if he does that for Manchester United, and they suddenly decide to play attacking football, they could be a real threat too. So, uh, a lot of it is contextual, but in terms of the general shape, we're looking pretty good. We just need a few players to add that depth, and then we can really think about this is a squad that is ready to compete, whether we'll win it. Obviously, that, that depends on those little things that I've just mentioned. 
but in terms of being ready to compete, we could easily be ready to compete by the end of this window. Uh, so things are looking up. I completely agree with Hamza. Um, I think we're very close. Um, I think, I think we do need more depth. That much is clear, especially in the attacking areas. I feel as though defensively we're getting that. We've definitely shored up and Fabinho is a crucial part of shoring up. I think maybe we need one more defender as well. And I mean, that's sort of a fairly common opinion. Um, I think the main issue is Man City. I think if it was any other year, I'd say, you know what, I, I really think we're going to win the league this year. But as it is, you're dealing with a 100 point Man City from straight off the back of last season. And the evidence would suggest they can only get better, not worse. So it, that's the worry there that City could even match, if not improve on that 100 point tally, which seems impossible when you consider the money they've got to spend, the players they're bringing in. Who knows? So really, you know, if Liverpool have to get 100 points to win the league, I, I don't think we're capable of that. I think I think we're, we're capable of putting together a really really good season, but if we need to get a hundred points to win the league, I think that that's you know that's going to be beyond us, which is fair enough really. So yeah, for me, I think any other year this Liverpool team are very very close. I think Cater coming into the midfield is a game changer, genuine game changer. I think he elevates the quality of that midfield two threefold just by being on the pitch. So for me we've for me we've highlighted and addressed the majority of our key areas. In this window, either by the players we've bought or the players we're looking to buy, it's just a case of getting one or two more deals in key areas over the line, and then we're in a real position to challenge across multiple tournaments to hopefully win some silverware. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, for me, we need to make sure we're a top four club first, and this is our second season back in the Champions League. And the one thing under Rafa, you could always rely on us being a top four club, and I know that the landscape has changed now, and it's very much six clubs. But that's got to be our first, our first aim. And like everyone else, I'd love it if we won the title. Um, it's been far too long. Um, but if we are going to challenge what we need to do, we need to be looking to be getting about 90 points next season. Um, I think that City are, are obviously the, the favourites, but I also think that points wise, I think there might be a bit of a drop off next season. Um, I think some teams will look at how Liverpool have, have tried to play against Manchester City um, and hopefully not show Manchester City as much respect or have as much fear over them. Um, so I think that City next season will will obviously be favourite, but I, I can't see them scoring as many points as they did last season. I've got to be honest with you. But I think that we'd need at least four, maybe five pretty much starting players to, to mount a real challenge. You've got the, the goalkeeper issue, centre-back alongside um, Virgil van Dijk, I think is an issue, although Dejan Lovren, depending on what game you watch him, sometimes he looked he look magnificent in the Champions League final, but you just can't rely on him, he's too inconsistent. Um, we need to find that attacking midfielder um, who will make a difference, who will fit into Jurgen Klopp's system. You've got Adam Lallana, who whose body seems to break down all the time. And you've got Felipe Coutinho, who's now gone from the club, but you always got the feeling he never quite fitted into how Jürgen Klopp wanted to play. So we need to try and find that player if we can. Um, I also think that we need to basically have cover for the, the front three players, who, who I love. You know, but thinking that the front three are going to have an injury-free season, like we mostly did last season, I think is a bit too optimistic. So we're going to need... Another centre forward to to rotate in and out with Bobby Firmino, and also another wing forward to rotate in and out with um, Sadio Mane and Mo Salah. 
And I think that um, the problem you then have is if you buy too many players, you've got to integrate them all into the team. So it's it swings in roundabouts. I'd like us to buy, um, as you've guided, about seven or eight players this summer. But I think if you buy too many, it's going to have a detrimental effect on the togetherness feeling that the, the team has at the moment. So I, I think personally what we need to do is concentrate firstly on solidifying the top four position, but putting ourselves in the best position possible to challenge for that title if we can. From a from a personal perspective, I think Liverpool has have made clear undeniable progress um, under Jurgen Klopp, which we've touched on. Um, reaching the Champions League final was testament to that. We've cemented top four again. Um, and have made two great midfield additions in, in Cater and Fabinho ahead of the new campaign. So there's lots of things to be optimistic about. As has been said, I think it's really all about how City do, if they replicate what they did last season, achieving that 100-point barrier. Um, it's going to be very difficult for us to challenge for the title. But I do think you know that there's an optimism and a, and a belief Liverpool are almost there in terms of being able to compete for silverware. Um, I, I think two or three more additions this summer, as I've mentioned previously, and Liverpool have got a squad that you're looking at and thinking, yeah, this is a, a very, very talented group capable of, of something special here. So lots of optimism, lots to look forward to as, as Liverpool continue their pre-season campaign um, against Tranmere on Tuesday. So we'll wrap up there. Um, have you got anything to plug? I'll, I'll go to you first, Hamza. Um, nothing at the moment. Uh, I'll see if I can catch the trampet game if I can and see if there's anything to write with regard to how uh, tactical shape might differ. I saw a mention on Twitter about a 4-2-2-2, so I'll have a look at that. Uh, but nothing, uh, planned as of right now. Nick, how about you? I know you said that you were working on a, on another piece. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've wrote a, an article looking at, um, Injuries and how um, they've been stopping us really from doing as well as we should be. So that'll hopefully be coming up on um, the Anfield Index site sometime this week. Uh, it is finished. It's just um, waiting to be approved. Um, and yeah, hopefully if people can have a little read of it, you know, let me know your opinions, leave leave a comment, try and be nice, and hopefully it'll um, get a bit of a debate going. The main thrust of this article is basically that I think we needed to buy maybe more players than ideally we'd need because we are carrying so many players who've got uh, spotty injury records and that um, we do seem to have a lot more injury-prone players maybe than is ideal. But yeah, that's, that's, that's all I've got to plug really, Leanne. Thank you. And last but not least, Tom, anything from you? Yep, I've got a Sadio Mane article that is out in the next few days. Um, one that I worked very hard on. It's another one of those that I really like. Uh, it's basically just looking at how important he is to this Liverpool team. Um, obviously, last season he was probably our most important player. This season, a lot of people feel like he hasn't been. Uh, so I kind of wanted to assess whether or not Sadio had, was still one of Liverpool's most important players. And in terms of the results, you have to fight, read for yourself. But I thought they were really, really interesting numbers, personally. Yeah, I, I think I uh, saw you talking about that, so that's definitely one to look out for. Um, from my point of view, I've got quite a few bits. Um, I'm not sure if you guys will have seen you listeners or uh, Hamza or Nick. Um, that Risa argument on Twitter um, about a certain article that came out on Anfield Index a couple of days ago now about his playing time at Liverpool, which is in a response to an article I'm doing, uh, which should be published 
next week for these footy times. So a possible podcast with him to follow after that on Anfield Index. Uh, so stay tuned for that one. I'll, I'll get a Q&A or something uh, out on Twitter if people have any questions. Um, other than that, Sturridge article is in the works. That should be out shortly. Um, and an article about possible outgoings is already on the Anfield Index website, which is is relatively fitting with what we've discussed today in terms of Klopp really rooting down the squad and, and looking at building something for the future. So, um, again, thanks for uh, joining us, Hamza and Nick. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Nick, to have you on for the first time, and hopefully you've enjoyed it. Um, yeah, no, I have. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Uh, thank you to the listeners, of course, and um, and to Thomas. I suppose you're all right. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I try. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll be back next week to celebrate football's highly anticipated arrival home. Um, until then, just enjoy the football and enjoy the sun. Uh, bye-bye for now. Podcast Network.